Welcome to the Reinventing Education Podcast. This is a podcast for anybody who's interested in reinventing what education is. I'm Rob McLeod, and as has become a tradition around here, I'm joined by the illustrious Brendan O'Leary. And in today's episode, we'll be talking about the Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory and how it embodies what is still very useful and relevant in the security value. In 2020. How are you, Brendan? I'm good, Rob. And how are you? Just coming out of the grips of the harshest viral infection of my life. It's been two solid weeks of just coughing, sore throats and whatnot, but I'm, I'm nearly in the clear. Nearly at this point. How are you? Stuff coming out of both ends. <laughs> Stuff coming out of both nostrils. Oh, good lord! I'm generally fine. You know, it's always a, it's always a, a mountain to get back on the the mountain horse after a Christmas break. We had a good break with my my mama in town, so that was super nice. And uh, but yeah, I think we're back into it. We're mid January. And in today's episode, we'll be talking about the Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory. An interview. Awesome. We haven't had one of those for a while. He sounds like a wonderful chap and looking forward to everyone hearing that. And then we're going to come back at the end after the interview to give our two cents on what are those babies that are still relevant? What are the great things we can take from a traditionally minded, security minded school in 2020. And I'm interested, well, for the listeners, why did we decide to interview a wrestling school rather than a brick and mortar, rather than the school that we pretended to visit in previous episodes? Well, our last handful of episodes in this season have been us taking a visit to a hypothetical traditional school. You won't find these kinds of schools in 2020 or in the modern day, but you will still find bits and pieces of them. And this is sort of an old, we've been looking at like an old school traditional approach to education. And we would kind of argue that as far as a school education goes, a lot of those practices are maybe not as efficient or as effective as some more modern, mainstream, progressive um, practices. Or we've been using the words like, you know, a school that's coming from the opportunity value or even an inclusion value. However, we don't want to lose the babies in the bathwater here. And there are actually a lot of things about a kind of traditional approach to teaching something that we don't want to lose as we move on. And although, you know, a day-to-day school education might not be best served anymore by some of these traditional approaches, there are other areas in life, other disciplines, other bodies of knowledge where this is still actually a very relevant approach to teaching things. And so why are we speaking to a wrestling school? Well, in part, I'm still a diehard wrestling fanatic, and I will find any way possible to shimmy in uh, some wrestling content into the things that I do. But just a little bit of a backstory here. Um, In my first year of teaching, about 10 years ago or so now, um, through previous work I'd done in the radio business, um, I had done some voiceover work for some wrestling promotions for their advertising. And somehow a few things had happened where I was actually asked, could I show up and actually be a ring announcer? So could I be the guy standing in the ring before the wrestling bouts? And can I introduce the people like the, you know, guy in the tuxedo microphone comes down like, ladies and gentlemen, the following contest is scheduled for one fall. First approaching the ring, weighing in at, I was that guy for a little while. And, you know, I grew up loving wrestling as a child. And here was my opportunity as an adult to like see the behind the scenes, behind the curtain. 
curtain view of what goes on here. And it just baffled me the level of physical skill, the level of physical risk that these guys are putting themselves face to face with, but just also the level of like craft in terms of what they do, in terms of which parts are scripted and which parts do they ad lib. And it really opened my eyes that like wrestling had always been something I enjoyed, but there is this real level of craft of art to it, which might sound like strange words to anybody who, you know, hasn't grown up watching wrestling and just imagines it being two big guys kind of body slamming each other and throwing fake punches. But seeing guys plan what they were going to do behind the scene and then go pull it off like live theater in front of an audience and like have people on their feet and shouting and screaming and like being able to pull out such strong emotional responses from people really made me appreciate wrestling. Now, one person in particular was the guy we're going to speak with here, Tyson Dukes. And his matches consistently impressed me and there just seemed to be like something about him where it's like this guy has got a few years ago he opened up the Tyson Dukes wrestling factory um, because he's been in the wrestling game for 23 years and at some point physically you know it's not a game you can kind of continue forever and when he opened up his school the wrestling factory I started following him closely watching what he was doing watching who was coming out of the wrestling factory and watching the incredibly high reputation that his wrestling factory was building so as we were kind of looking at old school approaches to to teaching things and having known Tyson a little bit behind the scenes, I just thought this seems like the perfect person to talk to because he's got this great, he, he has the absolute best parts of an old school mentality that we don't want to lose as school continues to evolve, as it continues to change. He has some of those things, he's doing them right, even though it might look more old school or traditional, he's doing some things right that we do not want to lose as school moves forward. So let's get into it. Let's take a listen, and we'll be back at the end to discuss some of the those awesome things that we do want to keep hold of that Tyson's doing in his school. All right, see you on the other side, Rob. See ya, Brandon. All right, so I'm curious. Tyson Duke's Wrestling Factory. First of all, why the word factory? Well, that's just the play off the, the wrestling machine uh, that I am, right? So that's my handle now in wrestling. It's it's evolved over the years. Many years have done many different things, many different handles. Last one being wrestling machine. Um, so uh, where machines built, where are they made? It's always in a factory, and it's kind of how I uh, like to live my life. Is like um, uh, I'm consistent. I'm hardworking. I put in the reps like you would at a factory. You know what I mean? You just do the same thing over and over again until it's perfect. And basically, that's like that. I couldn't think of a better name for it than just having my name and then just having uh, the play on words be in the factory. And, and what's your role in the factory? Like, I'm, I'm kind of curious what word you tend to use. Do you use like head trainer? Do you use coach? Do you use like master in master, master apprentice? Uh, I don't like to put myself... Uh, with the title, I don't like to give myself uh, that kind of a title because for with everybody, uh, I'm something different. So some of them, I'm almost like a father figure. And then there are others that I am like more of a, a sensei, more of a coach, a lot of coach. A lot of people give me a coach. First time ever, I'm a guru for the uh, young man that's coming in. So it's a, I just leave it, leave it as casual as possible, just as long as there is a form. It's a form of respect and a, a show of leadership. Uh, that's all I go with. Now, I want to get into what it looks like from when a student walks into the factory to the end. But first... 
knowing that most of our listeners are people in education and not necessarily mm-hmm. diehard wrestling fans, I do want to just set the context of why proper training is so important for getting into the wrestling business. So oh. I wondered, first of all, I think maybe we could just quickly address, you know, what, what does someone who doesn't know what goes on behind the scenes in wrestling, what do they need to know about the kind of skills that a wrestler needs to do what they do? Well, uh, for someone that's not educated uh, to professional wrestling, the first thing I can say is it's, uh, it's a balance. It's very much a balance act. Like you're on a tightrope. Uh, a lot of people say, is it fake? And I tell them it's not fake, but it is, is it real? Is everything uh, planned out? Not necessarily, but the, the ending is scripted. So we know the ending and we know that it's an uh, entertainment, but by no means is it fake. Uh, I get that question a lot. I always refer to it as magic. Um, you just, it's one of those things that you really can't, like you don't give it away. Uh, you want people to believe in it. You want the nostalgia of people seeing it and want to, want to believe in what it is. And I usually go with, uh, it being a magic act, um, basically, because you don't really want to know how the trick is done. You want to know that Houdini can actually do stuff. Like he can like make elephants disappear or, uh, whoever it is. So, um, when it comes to education in professional wrestling, it's all about safety. Really, it all like when it boils down to the first, the first half of their training is all about safety. It's all about protecting themselves and protecting the person they're in there with. Because uh, in professional wrestling, being entertainment, being almost like a dance, but like a dance where you throw kicks and punches and body slam them, um, there's a, there's a, you have to have a guideline of trust. You need trust and you need to be uh, as safe, as safe as possible because you are landing on a hard surface. It is not a trampoline as many people think it is. Um, it is metal and it is boards and then there's thin, uh, like thin padding and then a canvas that goes over the top of it. There really is no spring anymore. There were springs, but the springs were actually worse than the, than just having no spring because the metal actually has its own bend. Wood has its own kind of movement that uh, lets amount of pressure. So the amount of pressure that we put on it and with the landing, it makes it a little bit easier to, to um, move that ring a little bit. So basically um, in the first half of their training, they learn about uh, ring awareness. Ring awareness is huge because you don't want to suplex somebody into a corner or on the ropes or make a fall out of the ring. Um, uh, ring awareness, you're always going to keep your eyes on your opponent because you just don't know. If you're in the ring and you're like something's not planned or someone forgets something or someone's hurt, you want to be able to see where they are and where they're coming from and if it's going to affect you in what way. And you try to learn to make it look Hello. Hello. So Hello. you're trying to make, yeah, I got you. So you want to make sure it, um, it's, uh, everything that you take is reality based. Everything looks real, but there's still, you're not really connecting. So there's a lot to it. There is, it's an immense amount of work. It takes a long, long time. And I do this course for a year. I allow them to stay longer after the year, but in that first year, it's basically trying to get them to work within the parameters of keeping safe and not getting hurt and making something look halfway decent. And to do this, repetition 
you've already alluded to in the factory model, like you do something over and over again until it's done right. How yes. walk us through like someone who walks in untrained, they're a wrestling fanatic, or they just, they think this is really what they want to do. How do you take mm-hmm. them from someone who's not yet ring aware, who's not yet safe and a year later bring them to another state? What does that journey look like through the factory? Well, that's the thing that uh, you hit it right in the head. Most people that come in um, with professional wrestling having a bit of a, uh, a mindset that people think that it's fake, so it's easier. So they think that maybe uh, I don't want to do MMA. I love MMA, but MMA is real, and those guys are vicious. Maybe I'll just do um, uh, pro wrestling because I've always liked pro wrestling. So they think that it's because it's not real that, they, they're not going to get hurt or it's easy. It's not easy. It's the same as um, MMA. The only thing is with MMA, you can defend yourself. In professional wrestling, you really don't defend yourself. You let the person hit you, so you put your guard down. Um, when they first come in, the first thing that I make them aware of is not ring aware. It's body awareness. So most people uh, that come in are, don't have any sense of body control. They don't have a, a sense of their, their own strength. They, don't have, they might not even have any stability in their body. They may have no balance, but stability. All these little keys to being conditioned like an athlete. Because again, like I said, most people that want to be that are athletes do athletically uh, challenging things like football, baseball, whatever. In professional wrestling, we get a mix. We get a mix of people that want to entertain and be uh, like a sideshow thing, and we got people that are actually athletic. So to find the balance there is a real tricky process to make sure everybody's going on the same level. Um, that being said, nobody gets away from me when it comes to conditioning. Conditioning is a massive part of what I do. I make sure that people are working out consistently, getting better, getting stronger all the time. I do it all through calisthenics. I don't like when they do weight training and stuff that's on their own time. I make them do it on their own. When they're with me, uh, their uh, cardio conditioning comes with ring work, but they're, uh, they're, we do a ton. Like, I mean, we do at least 45 minutes a day of push-ups, sit-ups, squats in different forms, different variations, planks, all these things, all about body control. So that's the first thing in, um, because I have guys that come in for the first time, uh, they'll jump in the ring, uh, they'll do a front roll, and their body will be all over the place. So if you can't control yourself on a thing that you should be doing in elementary school, I, like you can't really go any further. So basically the test is they get in, they do a couple front rolls. So you front roll to your feet. Uh, most people think it's easy, but a lot of people don't do it. And so if I challenge anybody to just go uh, find a soft area like out in the grass or whatever and just try a front roll and see if you can roll to your feet with uh, keeping your feet together and just keeping your body all together. It's not an easy contest. It's not easy to do. Um, and after that, I see where they're at. So that's the first thing. That's my test is a couple front rolls. And if I see where they're at, now I know how hard I have to work. It's because some days I have to work really, really hard with people. Other days I can just kind of breeze through a few things and then move on to the harder, more advanced stuff. Yeah. And how do you differentiate with students? Like, did I understand correctly? You have sort of like a beginner's class and a more advanced class. Like, how do you deal with the range of abilities in the students you have? 
Well, the, the, co the course itself is a year, so those are all beginners. And then afterwards, they can uh, stay on um, with me and continue their training. And I open a day for the more advanced guys to work. But I also have the advanced guys work with the beginners, not because uh, I don't mind working with the, uh, the beginners. The idea is you learn through teaching as well. So once you get to the point where you've learned that headlock and you've put that headlock on a hundred times, there's nothing better to cement your technique than making sure that you teach somebody else correctly. Because if I'm watching you put this together, you're going to make sure that your technique is flawless. So the left leg pulls back as the head comes in, the left knuckles are up on that headlock. It's across the jawline. It's nice and tight. Elbows are tight to the body. Head is up, back is straight, hips are in. Uh, left leg is back, right foot is ahead, and you're on the balls of your feet. These are just, that's just me spewing off how to do a headlock. And I got to make sure that everybody does that correctly when they come in. Um, that doesn't even tell you, like, so then the other part is when you take a headlock is that you have to shoot your head into the armpit right at the pectoral muscle, uh, both arms wrapping around the waist, holding on. Legs are going to be shoulder width apart, but they're going to be even. And you're going to be on the balls of your feet again, but also willing to take the weight because he might lean with the headlock. That's just a headlock for both taking and giving. So if I give instructions and I teach my first class how to do this, and now I expect them to do the same thing with the new class, they're learning even more. They're perfecting their own technique, and it makes for a better wrestler, without a doubt. And that's how I got better, is I was thrown in there as a coach at an early age to help guys come along, and it just helped, helped immensely, helped me be who I am today. So the thing I get hearing you speak is like, I really get this sense of like master and the apprentice, like, like a very old school kind of thing. Are there any like parallels to sort of the martial arts world? Because like just the way you broke down a headlock there, you know, I had a little bit of Muay Thai and judo training when I was younger. It's like every, like you said, the body awareness, every inch of what you're doing has to be conscious. And I would argue like even more so in the wrestling context, knowing how much you and the other guy have to trust each other, rely on each other, because if one of you screws up, it's a potentially a lifelong injury you've just mm -hmm. received. So your role when you are working with a student, um, yeah, can you kind of break that down for me? Like, how do you relate to students? How serious are you? How specific are you? those sorts of things. What's your teaching so that, style? You're, you're exactly right. I grew up taking martial arts and like, uh, I find the best strategy with professional wrestling is to take it from a martial arts standpoint. So like, like I said before in repetitions, like I remember being in uh, class uh, going for belt to uh, level degree higher. And all it was was repetition, repetition of a front stance and a right punch front stance and a right punch over and over and over and over again until you got the right kind of snap with the hip and the hand. It's the same thing. It's exactly the same. And I like to teach that way because that's the way I learned um, growing up. And that's the best way for me to learn is through heavy, heavy repetition and a massive amount of work. Physical exhaustion, uh, I like to play in the fact of the role of physical exhaustion because when you're exhausted, you have to rely on te technique. Technique is so important. 
that once once everything's gone, once the tank is empty and you can't breathe anymore, the one thing you can be rely on is the fact that you are uh, technically sound so that you can save some of the energy in that regard. Um, yeah, you're right. Like in a lot of ways, it is like that. It is the same thing, um, technically, uh, technically speaking, uh, because it is a martial arts. Professional wrestling is actually wrestling. Um, it's a lot of hook result, like a result of a lot of hook type uh, maneuvers that was done in the early 20s and stuff like that, where you had hookers. They used to call them hookers, where they'd break your leg, they'd break your joints in a second. That's what they're known for. And there was those guys that were either performed in the circus. And you know what I mean? That's, that's where it comes from. It's a circus act. So it's legitimate. It's an illegitimate art. It's a legitimate fight that is toned down. So it's not, do you know what I mean? It's uh, one of those things where it started out as uh, they can go in there. And I, I just talked to a guy the, the other day, cause I'm huge on the history of pro wrestling. So I talked to a guy and we were talking about handshakes. I said, in professional wrestling, uh, when I started in this business, we had a, a shake hands, uh, and it was a really soft, limp kind of handshake. And uh, a lot of people in the normal normal business world or any other world would be like, "What are you? That's not right." Because that doesn't feel good when someone shakes your hand. It doesn't. It's not a firm handshake. But in professional wrestling, we started learning this style because when guys were going to work together. Um, they were going to shake hands. Like when they shook hands, they would come in really light. It looked like a real handshake, but it was super light. And that meant that those two gentlemen were actually going to go to do business together. So their idea of wrestling was, we're going to put on a show. We're going to make sure that we're both okay and not hurt. And you're going to win because we'll make more money that way. But if those guys came in and they had a sturdy, hard handshake, they knew, well, this is it tonight. We're actually going to fight. And that's, that's basically where it comes down to is like, there's so much to it. There's so much history that is so, so awesome to really like when you get into the whole, the old history of how pro wrestling came to be from where it was to where it is now is pretty, pretty astounding. But that's, that's the beginning, um, beginning, uh, 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 what would you say? Like the, those are the traces of where it starts from, right? Yeah. So it's the same. It's a it's a martial art. It basically is just martial arts rolled up into entertainment. Well, I had the privilege of being able to be around backstage for the better part of two years with yourself and many other incredible wrestlers. And the thing that blew me away was like, yeah, this is a lineage. This is a culture with like its own norms, with its own traditions, with its own rituals, these sorts of things. And Maybe I could, I'd just like to touch on that for a second for someone who hasn't been close to the wrestling business. As you're saying, there's all from shaking hands to how you greet somebody, all these sorts of things. There's, there's such a rich behind the scenes culture. And, and I think there really is a lineage from those early circus days till now. Mm -hmm. And without going too far into the history of it, like maybe we could just hit on that. Why even today in 2019? why your wrestling factory is so important because like, you know, 80, 90 years ago in the more circusy days, like this was a closed loop, closed circuit secret that a mm -hmm. small group of people, they had to know how this was done so that it worked for everybody within it and yes. not to let 
this get out to others. And I guess to some degree, that's this, the function your school still has is like, hey, you want to enter this lineage? There's a lot we need to catch you up on to speed on before you can enter this lineage. Right. Yeah. So basically, that's, that's basically in a nutshell is we, um, I still, I still hold to those roots. I still hold to, um, I only let the, the ones in, like I, I'll let anybody in. No, don't get me wrong. I'll let anybody learn to be a professional wrestler. I want, if you have a dream to be a pro, I will make you a pro. That's, I'm all about like, um, I love professional wrestling and people told me that I would never do anything in this business. And I, you know what I mean? It's just cause I'm stubborn. I just kept going. And it made me who I am today. But I would never, ever say no to anybody who wants to be a part of this business. However, I don't expect – nobody gets a free ride with me. My son doesn't get a free ride. Uh, my top guys don't get a free ride. I'm actually harder on them than I would be anybody else because this business is like show business, and it is really, really hard. It's tough. It's tough once you get to um, a certain kind of uh, aspect of pro um, wrestling where it's um, – like once you get uh, bigger and you're a bigger name and stuff like that, it's real. it gets even more difficult because now you're dealing with uh, different promotions and different people and different ideas of what they want you to do. And then eventually contracts come in and who do I sign with and who's that? You know what I mean? So there's a lot to it. And it all starts from uh, the early stages and you have to be tough. You have to uh, teach uh, correct you have to make sure that everything is solid. And in this day and age of professional wrestling being such a zoo and such, um, such a mess of like so many different styles, um, so many different characters, everybody goes with the social media, which has ruined professional wrestling for me, uh, without a doubt has ruined everything I love about it. Um, where guys are just looking for attention. We're just looking for views online. We're not looking uh, to uh, protect what we used to do. Um, you know, it's such a shame because, like, there's guys like Ricky Steamboat. They got his face uh, rubbed with sandpaper and iodine put on that sandpaper to make it look like bruising, like he got really in a street fight. He got attacked in their street fights. Like, that's a sacrifice that he made, and like both appearance wise, pain wise, and stuff to keep the business alive, keep money in the business, keep the business true to what it is. And now you have kids out there that, you know, they dress up like a lollipop and like, you know what I mean? Like, or they're, they're a purple cow or anything to grab attention now, they'll do it. And it takes away from the reality um that uh we try to protect about professional wrestling or i do like my kids are all great and they're great um great students and like none of them are um i don't know if it's because of my doctrine i try not to make it so that they can't go ahead and want to make sure that people are successful in this first of all but i want them to hold to some kind of morale of how professional wrestling used to be and how it should be um going forward because uh, I can't, I can't see um, business uh, going any further than the sideshow more than what, maybe five more years of like, because it's just silly. Like uh, I don't, I'm not really over. I'm not a real good character. I'm not a good promo guy. I'm, my wrestling's not that great. You know what I'll do is I'll put on some face paint and I'll be a goblet or I'll be uh, a Barbie or I'll be something or I'll just wrestle. Um, like, uh, you know what I mean? It's just, there's so many things out there that, um, and like, no, like 
I don't disparage anybody that wants to take the risk and um, do something that they want to do. And if they make money on it, that's good on them because you have to make a life for yourself. But in the, the end result isn't good. End result is, uh, yes, you might have a few good years, but you have uh, both ruined it. Um, you've ruined it for yourself and you've ruined it for um, others in like another 10 years, another 15 years, because I've been at this 23 years and uh, I hold steady to how I wrestle, even though I've had ups and downs and I've had great times and I've had really low times. Um, I've always st stuck with uh, how, how passionate I am about the actual work and making it as believable a contest as possible because that's where it comes from. That old school traditional approach, is that, in your opinion, the thing that people still need today and in the long term will be the biggest thing that makes it possible for them to have a career in wrestling? I think so. I think it all, it all stems from um, where it started from. Like when the wheel isn't broke, why are we trying to reshape the wheel into a triangle? And a lot of people do that. They want to because that's that's an easier route for them or that's their route that they've um, made a little bit of success. But the end result is a lot of them think that this will last forever. This stuff doesn't last forever. I've been through um, many up and down periods in 23 years now, a lot of down periods. Um, I started in this business at the end of the Austin and rock era and uh, was with the company uh, WWE in 2002 to 2004, and I saw the the company on a uh, on a downward spiral of me not like me being an extra, uh, getting paid maybe $300 a night or 250 250 a night to $300 plus gas expenses paid for, and then cut down to no gas, no flights, no hotel, and $200. And I don't know what the, like, I don't know what WWE is giving extra talent now in this day and age, being 2019, but it certainly wasn't the amount of money that they were making, I was making in 02, which is a long time ago. Uh, and that's, uh, basically you can, you can give them all the glitz and the glamour and stuff like that. But I tell the kids at the school all the time, uh, stay true to, um, how wrestling is. I don't mean, don't be like, you can be entertaining. You can learn all this stuff. You can do a little bit wilder stuff. You can be more athletic. Um, you can do all this stuff and, and like push bend reality, but stick with how wrestling should be, um, still viewed as like a real uh contest because um a bending reality is one thing to absolutely destroy and break it isn't going to be like it, it doesn't it serves no purpose it serves no purpose except you've just made my job uh, who's at the maybe at the main event a thousand times harder where i have to actually go harder and hit harder and like take stuff that i don't want to take just for the simple fact that you thought that being like a dinosaur in an egg uh, hatching is being the greatest thing in wrestling. So, And when you're saying the greatest reality, thing and that bending reality, that's for the crowd, right? Like ultimately yeah. that's, we, I, maybe we haven't hit on that in case someone hasn't clued in. Like you as a wrestler, as a performer, you're looking to get that reaction from a crowd. Like this is a, a performance in some way to entertain those who are there and to like, make a compelling live spectacle, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yes, and that's it. And then we just want to bend it. 
so that they feel as though these two are killing each other. And I want that guy to win, or I don't like that guy because he's a jerk. I want the uh, the good guy to win. Um, these are, and I want that to like they. It looks like the good guy's going to lose, and then he somehow is victorious, like by however whatever means he made it. That's and like Hulk Hogan's a great example. Hulk Hogan, uh, hulking up is such a great example of uh, being fueled by people, and that is that is still just a bend on reality that isn't breaking reality that's not um anything but like a, a home a home team like a home team uh getting behind their team uh that crowd getting behind them and like cheering them on and getting them pumped up and working towards uh being victorious that's that's the same idea um but that's that's like again that's the bend right and then mm. You want to go away with it. Like you want a family type event where kids can go and see wrestling and uh, make it look uh, reality based. But when they see their favorite performer afterwards, he's not stitched up or he's not bloody. He's he can sign autographs and he's he's great, you know. So those are that's the difference. So one of the things we talk about on the podcast, again, you know, we're often talking more about school is we kind of say there's three aims of an education. And one is to get you ready for the workforce. One is to kind of like cultivate citizenship. So to like make you a member of a society. And a third one usually gets kind of tapered off, but is like kind of self-development. So basically get you ready for the job, a job, Hmm. get you ready to be a part of our culture and hopefully kind of develop you along the way. One of the things I've heard about some of your mentorship in the factory is not only do you spend that year or more with the students, getting them ready through repetition, preparing them to be able to have a solid match, a safe match, a match that captures the crowd's attention. You also are actually with them on the road when they make that leap into the actual workforce, when they start getting booked on shows, when they start having their first matches, sometimes you are there in the car ride with them, backstage with them, after the show with them, how does that add, do you think, to your students' development? Uh, immensely, because then they're not thrown into a situation where they, um, they're out of, like, at the school, there's so much control, and there's a level of comfort that comes with the same people, the same crew, the same location, uh, lighting, temperature, everything. There's something that comes along with that, that you're constantly comfortable in your own environment. But now when you've switched it and you're out and now this arena's hot, like just even temperature, like there's, uh, there's something to be said about leading them in this way. Uh, like you were saying, you want to get them ready for the work, uh, workforce. You want to make sure that they have their skill set. Uh, that's a massive, like, that's one of the first things I do is I work on their skills to make sure that they're both safe and safe with others and make sure that they're solid in ring because if it's, it's my name on the line more than anything that I want to make sure that I produce good people. So that's the first thing. But the second one of like uh, you were saying about getting them ready for the culture of it. Yeah. Usually to break the mold my people i try to uh, force them to break the mold i don't want them to be the same in the same culture because our culture is kind of messed up <laughs> i try to make them break that and now that's the other thing i try to you know, like get them uh past that point and i want them to be super successful what was the third point you had a third point on that yeah and self-development 
So like develop who they are. Massive, massive. That's my number two. So that would be my number two in this whole thing is uh, self-development because the quicker they learn and they can thrive on their own and be their own superstar, the less I have to worry about them in like a, another year down the road. And basically that's how I, uh, I, I do my, do the business that I do is I make sure that they, their skills are ready, they're self-developed and they're always thinking about how to make themselves better. And the third one is I want them to crack all that culture and like, let's, let's take, let's take a little bit of it back because it's such a, it's, we're on such a different kind of snowball here. I want to jump off this snowball and make a different one. Cause I, it's gotta, it's gotta, you know, you got to have some kind of, um, uh, faith or you have to have some kind of, uh, lineage and I want my lineage to be solid. That's all. So my two last things I want to touch on, I guess they're connected. You've just mentioned lineage and like your name more than anything shows up when one of your students shows up for a show whether, you know, it's backstage, like, hey, this is one of Tyson's guys, or, you know, these sorts of things. Like, is there a uniform, I guess, first of all, for your students? And second yep. of all, what's the Tyson Dukes, like, stamp, would you say? Or, like, how, how do you know someone's been through Tyson's school? The uniform, there is a uniform. I make sure that everybody, when they first, they, like, everybody's going to get... Uh, train the same way and like we were talking about being a martial arts type thing i keep it to a japanese philosophy in japan they have black boots black trunks that's all they're allowed when they come out of my school they can have pants shorts trunks whatever they want to have for wrestling attire but it has to be actually professionally tailor made um but their colors are a dark dark green color with a white logo of a gear it can be anywhere. They can have any kind of lines. As long as the colors are green, black, and white, they can put it in any way they want, any kind of uh, designs. But they have to have that COG logo on it. And then that's their gear for a year. And not until after a year and they've shown some real development, uh, I will tell them, okay, now it's time. If you want to go out and get your own stuff at your own color, whatever you want to do, your own designs, go for it. But for that full year of learning and learning to be on the road and doing wrestling shows on the road, they're, uh, it's mandatory to wear just the, the green colors. Uh, it's just the symbol of like, I use green because I enjoy the color green, but I also enjoy the fact that uh, it's not used very often. And another thing is, is kind of like the joke is like when you start in this business, as you start in anything in life, you are green, you are new to things and the grass is very green when you start, it's through wear and tear that it turns color. So that's, that's why they, they hold on to the green colors. Um, the second point is like, it is so important that at the end of the year, um, uh, for my type of lineage, for them to be uh, consistently solid and work extremely hard. I don't, like, it doesn't matter if they can do backflips. I don't care if they uh, have five-star matches. As long as they're consistently working and working solid and that you know as a promoter, as the boss, that when you have a kid on there that has a green and white logo, you know that those human beings are all going to give you 100% effort, give you what you want. They'll be very respectful. And at the end of the day, they'll get better and better and better. And eventually, they'll be a star one day. And that's all, that's all my, that's what it's all about. Yeah. It's so it sounds like, stars. 
Self-discipline sounds yes. like a big key there. Huge. Respect, hard work. Those yes. are like those kind of core values that, that someone leaving the factory would be instilled with. Right. Uh, like without a doubt, like without a doubt, um, a little bit of self-confidence and like, uh, like a tremendous, a tremendous work ethic. Um, that anybody knows that like you can do stuff a thousand times and screw up as long as you keep trying for a thousand and one with me, the day that you don't give me the proper amount of effort, you don't give me effort is the day that I've kind of lost interest in, um, like where you are. So if you're not going to give it to me, I'm not going to give it back. I'm not going to give you the time of day if you're not going to give me the effort. So that's what they all learn pretty, pretty soon, pretty quickly when they when they meet me is like, like I'll give them a little bit of uh, uh, an adjustment period to their bodies and stuff, taking a little bit of pain. But at the end of the day, that's it. Yeah. And the last thing, cause I can see someone else wants your attention now. And, all right. and I know as a dad, I'm just curious, last thing, you, you're yeah. 23 years into this. Mm -hmm. uh, to prepare for this, I listened to more than a handful of interviews uh, mm -hmm. that you've done over the years. And the one thing that jumped out at me, at least in three of them, I heard you say, oh, and I was learning from so-and-so this and this. I'm curious at your stage in your career, seen as a veteran, highly respected, 23 years in the business, how and, well, how are you still learning as a wrestler? That's the great thing about pro wrestling is um, you're always learning. It's one of those things that you will never stop learning. And that's why I probably love it so much. It's just one of those things that there's so many different facets and different niches to it that you'll always learn. And I'm not even talking about uh, move wise or like um, spot wise and all that stuff as well as like, it's so artistic. There's different movements you can put together and like it be an eternity before you learn them all, which is all great stuff. The thing that I love about professional wrestling the most is it's psychology. Psychology is the biggest thing. And the older I get, the more I understand it. The more I understand people, the easier it is to uh, make people move because that's what it is. It's about making people either cheer, boo, cry, laugh, whatever you want to do in this contest. That's what your, that's your, that's your job. When it comes to a basic human psychology, I've already started, like I should write a bit of a book on like not being educated, but knowing how people think and how they react. And that's the thing about what today's society, as we go, society's always changing, mentality's always changing. You're always having to tweak the psychology. And that's such, that's always going to be a new type of learning uh, curve. And it's always good to either revert back to older techniques or find a little bit of the new and mix with the old. And it's, it's a real, it's like finding an old recipe and uh, bringing it into today's um, whatever uh, recipe you have and trying to make a concoction like a stew that would be a monumental one. That's all you're trying to do. And that's kind of the same thing, with, uh, but you're doing it with people's minds. It's the stew of people's minds I'm trying to make the perfect uh, concoction out of. And it's, it is an immense amount of work. And it's, um, it's, you always have to, like always, the first match, if I'm not on the first match, I'm, I'll always go to the curtain. I'll start watching the match and I'll close my eyes and listen because I don't go on when the next move is. I go when I hear people because they're the ones that tell me what, when something's about to happen, when I should be doing something and when I shouldn't. And I lead them the way I want to, but I need to know when they're coming. 
So that's, it's all, it's, there's so much to it. And as I get older, the easier it is. I wish that I was young and could apply this stuff instead of being a dummy. But that's the, that's the sweet joke of professional wrestling because everything in life is a comedy. By the time you understand it to the full potential of what you should be, your body is in no way, shape, or form able to react or do the same in the ways that you should. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's funny. It's good comedy. I want to keep this going forever, but I, I think that's a perfect wrap-up spot for the, for the sake of this conversation. For any of our listeners who might either be wrestling fans or may have heard you discussing what you were just talking about and want to see it in action, would you have any recommendations people could find on YouTube in terms of your matches in particular that you think, oh yeah, this shows some of that psychology or this shows, shows some of that? Uh, now th there's a few. There's one that's uh, with uh, Sean Spears. Uh, it was from Windsor. That was a great one because you can listen to people and you can see that uh, my head is real close to his head at certain points. And we and both of us have a, a real, real eerie sense of timing, both with each other and with the crowd. So we're on point that night. That's a great one. So me versus Sean Spears. Uh, that's a Can-Am show out of Windsor and there would be uh anyone this year there would be ones with uh, Tyler Turva uh, it's the same thing because I apply it I'm applying it more and more the older I get as the body um I'm still in uh, good condition but I'm not the same person that I was at 27 um uh, so I uh, apply a lot of these techniques to it and you'll see you'll see a lot of it when I wrestle a guy like Turva that understands and wants to learn, um, wants to advance himself, uh, like, which is really smart. Like, uh, he's year light years ahead of the new kids or the younger kids because he actually sees it and he wants to apply it and understand it. So he listens all the time. So it's one of those ones too. So that's another one too. Tyson, thank you uh, so much for your time today, man. This has been a blast. Oh, thank you. It was good. Thank you very much. So there's our interview with Tyson Dukes, owner and head trainer, sensei of the Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory. And Brennan, now you and I, we just want to take a moment to kind of unpack some of the babies of the babies in the bathwater, if you will, of this kind of old school, traditional, kind of security minded. That's one of the terms we've been throwing around this kind of approach to education, because both you and I were kind of saying that this approach in schools um, might not be the most efficient or effective in the modern day. But outside of school, this approach, this way of teaching is still very effective and arguably the best approach um, out of all them given a context. And I think when it's something that is hands-on, when it's something like a craft, when it is something like when there's a lineage involved to something, I think this traditional security-minded approach is still best. So let's walk through some of the main ideas we heard and we'll talk about what some of the babies and the bathwaters are here. Yeah, I wanted to just throw in a, a couple of quotes at the beginning that kind of stuck out to me that were cool and really kind of put out kind of Tyson's in my, in my eyes, what, where Tyson was coming from, and one of the quotes was, it's a tightrope. It's not fake, but the ending is scripted. It's not fake. You want people to believe it. It's a magic act. Don't want to know how the trick is done. Now, obviously, you talked a little bit about the, the hidden lore of wrestling. I believe it's called kayfabe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. They uh, And there's that. There's that magic. There's that magic that 
is built into the craft. And uh, I think a lot of what Tyson was saying was that that is the core of what he wants to keep. And then the other one was that this isn't this is more paraphrasing than a quote, but he's like, it's an old recipe and like wrestling as an entertainment art form from the carnival days. It has this rich history. And there's a way that it was done for decades that was very sustainable and a lineage. And Tyson really holds strong to these roots. He he says that it all stems from where it started. And I think, and I want to keep this in mind in our discussion. That's where we're coming from. You know, Tyson has those links to his lineage and he has a belief in the magic of wrestling that's very heavily built on a, a strong foundation of skill. Yeah, and I think magic, is an effective word here. One other word I would use is an effective or a powerful wrestling show is one where the audience suspends their disbelief and they they buy into it and they they temporarily forget that this has been discussed between people and they it looks so real that you begin to believe it's real and get caught up in it. Just like if you're sitting in a movie theater or even like a live theater setting, you know that they're actors on stage. You know that they're not actually in a living room. You know, they're not actually cats, but for that moment, you like you buy into it and you forget that you're in a theater. You forget that these are actors. You forget that these are actresses. You forget this is a set and you get sucked into that world. And having, you know, been someone who sat through many live wrestling events, even the guy who saw people discussing their match beforehand, I've had those moments where you get sucked into into that drama of it. And there is this lineage that's been involved that has kind of created the craft of being able to do that. And I think that is ultimately one of the things that Tyson is defending and upholding. And, you know, when there is a strong lineage in something, that's one of these babies. We want to be able to maintain lineages now and into the future. Okay, so let's start off with some of the core values and the ethos that he kind of spoke about. First one, big one safety it's all about safety protecting yourself protecting the person you are in there with it's almost like a dance he called it like you want to be as safe as possible in the ring you don't want to suplex somebody into a corner you don't want to put you don't want to make a move that is going to hurt you or your opponent that's not what this is about yeah and this is the crazy part like wrestling as the craft you are putting your life your physical well-being into the hands of someone else so you need to be able to do these things safely and, you know, I, this seems like a no-brainer. It kind of goes without being said. But in our education, we want things to be safe. And often in a tr kind of traditional school, there might be a lot of repetition on, you know, how we go up or down the stairs, how we wash our hands, how we do, you know, just the basic levels of safety as you would see it in school. Ideally, we're not body slamming each other in a kindergarten class. But like whatever aspects there are to do with safety, we want to make sure that those aren't lost as we move forward, as school develops. Uh, another thing that Tyson hit on is work ethic. Now, the words that he was using kind of match up with Brendan, like the terminology you and I have been using of this kind of like self-discipline security value. He talked about hard work. He talked about resilience. He talked about perseverance. And really just, I think like we kind of use those words like the strength of character. And he talked himself about how he's stubborn and he wants to keep doing things. He'll do things a thousand times you know, to make sure that he gets them right and he demands from his students that they continue to give effort, you know, a thousand plus times. He talked about hard work, his own work ethic, self-discipline got thrown around in there, just consistently solid and working extremely hard. So there's just this idea that like 
you're not slacking. You need to show up. You need to fulfill your role. You need to fulfill your duty. And I think as a trainer, uh, that level of commitment is so powerful when you hear Tyson talk. And, you know, I have to be honest, I can't really think of too many classroom teachers who show up with that same level of like passion and commitment to following through to their maximum every time they're in front of students. So again, just that that like sort of life purpose sense of duty, I think is one of those things that we want to see here. Yeah, his, his commitment is unquestionable. And that just hearing him speak, and he, he means these things. He means what he says. You can, he, you've seen it in action, but I can hear it in his words. And why are these things, it almost goes without saying, but perseverance, things get done. You, the, those hard tasks, you get to the end of them. They may take they may take everything out of you, but you get there. Resilience, likewise, if things don't fall apart in hard times, when everything's against you, you pull yourself together and you get on with it. Self-discipline, that reliability that comes with self-discipline. I can trust you, you can trust me because we are disciplined and we are going to do everything we can to make this work. Those core values, we want to keep those. Whatever our education system looks like, we do not want to lose perseverance, resilience, self-discipline. Those are core to us getting things done and achieving what we want to achieve, meeting our duty, and fulfilling what we ourselves could be as humans. And those are three of the big core aims we talk about in education. So I guess one of the next things he spoke about quite a lot was accuracy and the right way to do something. And I have to be taught, and the job of a teacher is to make sure that everything you do is correct and solid. And this comes back to that idea of lineage. And Tyson and I, we briefly discussed parallels between this and the, the wrestling world, the wrestling body of knowledge and a martial arts. And really, like, if you are entering this world of wanting to become a wrestler, you're standing on the shoulders of giants. These methods, this way of being a wrestler has been perfected over several decades, arguably even centuries now at this point. And it's not really up to you to show up and like reinvent the wheel and bring all kinds of new things. You're being brought into a lineage. And the idea is that you can travel worldwide, Japan, America, Canada, Europe, whatever, all wrestlers have this kind of core closed base of knowledge of when you go to it, go to do a headlock, here's how we all do it. When you go to do a power slam, here's how you tuck your head so that we're both safe. When you do this, here's how it's done. So there's this idea of, of pinpoint accuracy and building on a solid foundation and just getting those basics right. You can build off those basics but everybody who enters this profession has to have those basics down pat. And arguably, it would be Tyson's job in the factory or any other school to ensure that those basics have been mastered and the accuracy of those is a given. So we've already hit on this a little bit, the passion and enthusiasm that we could hear coming through from Tyson. Um, one of the things I like that he said that harkens back to something we've discussed is the idea that he'll let anyone in. As long as like you are in agreement that you are going to give it your all, you're allowed in and you're on the team. And that idea of like passion, enthusiasm, and inclusion, I think is something that really came through Tyson's and again is one of those really strong, 
strong parts of this traditional or security-minded approach? Sometimes I think when people talk about traditional schools and the idea we had in the head of the, the somewhat stuffy old school, the idea that some people could be passionate or enthusiastic seems like maybe the, that's not what this mindset is about or this tradition is about. But clearly, Tyson and, and, and teachers I've met that teach in this traditional method, whether they are martial arts or whether they're um, working in some other or even inside a traditional school, they may still embrace what the school stands for and what they do. They take on board those ideas. They take them on board as deeply as they can and they live them and they embody them. And that passion and enthusiasm isn't just something that you might find in this a more progressive school or or even what we couldn't currently would see as a mainstream school tradition has its own passion and enthusiasm it's very clear from him tyson speak and and those people that work in those traditional areas that have that passion and enthusiasm we want that we want that um one of the other things he came to he didn't touch on it so much but this idea of comfort now this ties in, I guess, to this idea of having a solid base and being very secure. We talk about the security value in these traditional schools. And he mentioned how having the same people, the same crew, the same location and being comfortable in your own environment. Yeah. And I think this is one of those things we don't want to lose as we like try to make school more flashy and, and always trying to bring something new to it. We just we don't want to lose that sense of comfort that comes from having a reliable environment, reliable support, feeling that you belong somewhere, you're able to concentrate and work harder on things to either be the best student or the best wrestler because you're not being distracted by like constant change. That comfort, that familiarity, that certainty is really important. So another large area that I think he spoke about a lot was this, the, the master and apprentice model. You spoke about it before and we've talked about it may have stemmed from a feudal style system, the the guild model, the craftsperson model. And as you said, it works particularly well in the wrestling world because it is a closed body of craft and knowledge. Of course, skills evolve over time, but the skills are a very, uh, the skills are, are, the core skills are traditional and they've been built up over the century or longer that wrestling has existed in this form um so the first thing he spoke about when he talked about this model of master and apprentice is the idea of respect for some people he's the coach the sensei the guru he's something different to everybody they're all slightly different but what connects them all is that there's a form of respect and leadership there yeah and he Tyson really is like a master. He is a leader. He is a teacher. And the reason he should have that position in the hierarchy and be looked up to is because he is a guy who's just earned that respect. He's been doing this for 23 years. Talk to anybody in the wrestling business. They will only praise this guy because of the quality of his work in the ring because of how seriously he takes things, how he conducts himself backstage. You want people in those positions of authority, being the sensei, being the coach, being the head of things, when they've earned that spot by proving that they've upheld their duty in that role throughout their time, and that they are the role model that you want to be learning from. And they know things inside and out. They are truly the master. You know, let's make a connection here to like, let's say medieval carpentry. Like you want to be learning from the carpenter who has proven themselves through their work and that they are worth kind of submitting some of your will to, let's say for a while, 
to learn exactly what they are telling you, to have them transmit that knowledge down to you. And I think that that is a piece of this. Yes, we should respect authority, but we should respect authority when they've earned that by proving their worth that that's that they should rightfully have that position as the teacher. And, you know, this comes back to this idea of him. He didn't, I think he was a little hesitant to kind of use that word master. But, you know, I got to give the guy credit. Like he knows the correct way to do his craft on every level. Like go back and listen to him describe how to do a headlock. Like he rhymed off like 16 points for how to do a headlock. He is thorough. He understands the craft fully. It's been proven through his work. Yeah, and, and he's with them from their first steps into the ring in the factory right up to their first bout. He's backstage with them. He's walking every step of the path along with them. He's not just throwing them out. He clearly takes a sense of pride in the students that he's working with. Yeah, and similar to the respect of the teacher and the, the sensei, what, why would we want this in our school? Because you want the person who is guiding you to be reliable. You want to know that the things they're teaching you are worth knowing, however they teach them to you. But you want to be, you want to have somebody, as you say, who's earned that place. They've earned that place in the hierarchy. And you can, you can do what you need to do as a student because you can trust 100% that they will do what they need to do as a teacher. And the next thing he kind of talked about was similar, related, was the idea of a reputation. So the world of wrestling, again, I'm, I'm an outsider. I have very little idea, but it sounds like it is something where name holds a lot. You, the person's name really stands for a lot in that wrestling business, as it does in a traditional kind of society or organization. So when his students step in to a show it's his name that's on the line and obviously over the years he's proved and built that reputation that the, the people know when they hear his name that that is a student who will have been trained to a really high level of skill yeah and there's comparisons here i think to kind of the way we've traditionally spoken about schools so in the wrestling business you know people ask who trained you and you'd say oh killer kowalski or whoever you know whoever it was just the, i think kind of the same way like hey what university did you go to oh i went to harvard wow like you were trained at harvard that's incredible that same kind of weight that same kind of weight is pulled depending on the name that you drop of who it was that trained you there are some trainers where it's like oh wow like that is one of the best people out there and it's based off reputation and in the community there's a shared understanding of like the kind of hierarchy of who are the best people to have worked with. So yeah, having that reputation, this kind of system of respect means that people know who to go to and for what. People know what they can rely on Tyson for. They know that like seal of quality that comes with him. And when they hear that someone has gone through Tyson Duke's wrestling factory, there is an understanding of like who this kind of person is. Now, I threw out a little bit of our jargon, talking about the three aims of school with Tyson. And I asked him about, you know, getting people ready for the workforce. So in this case, training someone to be ready for prepare to be participating in a wrestling show. We talked about the citizenship, like getting people ready for the culture of wrestling. And we talked about self-development. And of course, you know, he had answers for all of them. Like he's doing all of them. He's getting people ready for the workforce not only through the work happening in the factory, but like we said, actually following people to their first shows. You know, he's making sure they're safe and solid in the ring. 
you know, he said number two for him is the self-development. And again, back to some of the things we've already mentioned, building up that self-discipline, that commitment, that follow-through. And then also the culture. And interesting, I would have liked to have gotten into this a bit more with him, where he said he's actually trying to send in some of his guys to, to change the culture. And we didn't go down the rabbit hole of what he meant by that. But again, he's got an idea of the kind of culture he's wanting to see. And maybe he's trying to kind of conserve that back to a bit more of an old school mentality where... I won't put words in his mouth, but I'm, I'm guessing he's seeing some of the kind of the ways that maybe the behind the scenes stuff's getting a little bit off the rails and he's wanting to bring it back to something a little more, more certain and in a way that has worked for sure. And I think what's interesting is that when, when we ask any teacher or people we've interviewed about the three aims of school, everybody's doing them, of course, because in 2020, you have to, on some level, think about work preparation. You want people to be part of a whatever citizenship area they're in, whatever community they're part of, and you want to develop them. So I think each teacher in each school is doing each of these three aims of school, the work preparation and the citizenship and the self-development, but they all do it through their own, the filter of their own value. And I think what's key is if you achieve these three aims by staying true to your value, you will be true also to the needs of your students and your community. In this particular context, as we said, Tyson's school that is built on a strong sense of security is very much in line with the sense of security that the wrestling world is built on. And we'll come a little bit later when we talked about some of his issues with the current world of wrestling. And I think many of his concerns came from how maybe this sense of security is being eroded by some of the practices. A couple more things in this kind of area of the master and apprentice kind of model is how he would build up future apprentices by training the new crop. So his best students would train the new guys as they came in. Yeah, and I think this helps to create like an ecosystem within the school of creating new masters. You know, this is another example of kind of the security built in in terms of like the support network that is in there. It's like the first crop of students who've had, you know, their year of time training with Tyson. They've got, they have things embodied enough now that they could begin to show things. They're not yet ready to be the master, but they've got enough stuff that part of their training is that are they able to teach it to somebody else? And that, that shows a certain level of them as apprentices taking on the body of knowledge and being able to use it. And I would love to see more of that in schools in 2020. We tried a little bit in our schools sometimes. I've, I've, I've done other programs here and there. And we had a, like a seeds and gardeners is one of they called where the kindergarten, older kindergarten kids worked with the grade five kids or, or whatever. That idea of the the kind of apprentice who's way down the road teaching the new people, that is in my mind kind of a baby that we have pretty much completely done away with in, in modern schools. And it would be really, really good to bring that back and have that rich kind of through line all the way up into um, all the way through our school. Yeah. And it's using the resources of the community that are already there to be able to benefit everyone. And I feel, yeah, like as you're saying that, it just seems like this is a crazy untapped potential sitting in our schools that we're not asking students that duty of taking on some responsibility to help those that are coming after them. And it actually was common in the beginning days of, of mainstream schooling in Britain. The one-room schoolhouse, it was, it was a very common model to have the older children working with the younger children. And you probably needed it when you had one teacher to 120 kids or whatever. So 
<laughs> but still, it has a place. It's something I'd like to bring back a little more. Um, I guess the last thing in this area he spoke about was was uniforms and how they had the professionally tailored uniform for all of his students with a logo and a particular color green for those those new people as as they are green and uh, then after a year that you're allowed a little bit more flexibility you still want to represent Tyson's wrestling school but you have a little bit more say in the colors and the designs that your uniform um, is in your uniform yeah and I think we've talked about the pros and cons of uniforms before one of the pros is definitely the sense of belonging to the group and in and in this way like let's be honest wrestlers typically they've got like trunks that kind of look like underwear there's not a lot of physical space for you to kind of be able to like not advertise but to to be able to show which lineage you are coming from so it makes sense that you know the outfit that you wear to the ring has tyson's color the logo and it's i again you know it's his name is on the line when you see those colors when you see that logo it's a sign of reliability and it's a sign that there is a support network around you as well and that you belong to tyson's part of the lineage that's that's part of your sense of belonging you get to wear those colors you get to wear that logo so another area that we discussed was the actual teaching and learning practices so what is taught and how it is done so first of all what is taught what was the curriculum that we're talking about one of the things that tyson started off with was just that idea of body awareness and if you can't control yourself on very simple tasks like you know doing a forward roll which you know if you teach elementary sports or phys ed, like we teach kids when they're like five years old to do this, if you can't do that as an adult, well, that's sort of like his baseline assessment, a diagnostic, if you will, of like where you're at and what level of body awareness needs to be built up. And so what he's doing here is that there's a core set of basic skills that we build on. And very much in a traditional school, we'd hear a lot of talk about those traditional, uh, about those core skills in reading, writing, in arithmetic, and in other areas. These will give you a solid foundation, and you can build those more advanced techniques on top of these basic skills. That's a baby. We want to keep it. How do we do it inside a school? Well, that's the million dollar question, but we certainly don't want to lose those core skills that everything else is built upon. Now, the the idea of differentiation, when we spoke about traditional schools, security-minded schools, differentiation wasn't really a huge thing. Tyson does address the idea of differentiation. So what he will do is he will split a beginners and advanced class. And then as we spoke about earlier, the advanced students would work with the beginners. And of course, he also mentioned that he would work in different roles with different people. So the way he tailors the school towards the needs of the individual students, I guess through these models, you have different levels of classes, you have the master and apprentice model, and then you also have one-to-one teaching. Yeah, and the class is all in this together. Like there is still this kind of closed body of knowledge. There are the basics that everyone needs to get, but there is more than one level that's happening. And I think Tyson, you know, is clearly showing his skills as an educator here by being able to see like, of course, there's going to be difference across the students in my class and I can either ignore that 
or acknowledge it. And it certainly sounds like he's acknowledging it and finding a way to work with each student in a way that they need in order to be able to meet these goals. Now, one thing that Tyson did mention is repetition. And he talked about the importance of drills. And I think this is especially useful here because we're talking about something that, you know, mirrors a sport. And if we make another comparison, let's say you want to get someone ready for soccer or football, in your case, Brennan. And one thing you would most likely do is spend a lot of time on drills first. It's likely not a great use of practice time to just send people out blindly with no instruction to keep playing the game without giving them drills to build those skills. And Tyson, you know, rightfully so, getting someone ready to be a wrestler in a wrestling match, spoke about the massive amount of drills they do and that repetition is important. You keep doing it until you get it right and until you don't have to think about it. And that's the best way to learn. You know, he even talked about like doing repetition to the point of physical exhaustion. I know this is incredibly important in a wrestling match because when you, as they say in the business, get blown up, when your cardio like gives out and you are, you know, there's nothing left in the tank, you need to be able to rely on your technical ability. And there's a great line from the military that says something to the effect of like the reason we practice and use repetition is you don't rise to the occasion, but rather you sink to the level of your training. And I think that's what Tyson's hitting on here. The idea that you're not doing something more than you've been able to do before. The idea is that you're able to rely and rest knowing the like level of skills because you've done it so much. It's just in your body that you have that technical ability in you. Yeah. And I, I like that. It's not about, oh, I can now do like 50 more, a thousand more pushups than I could before. It's like, no, I know that when it really comes to it, I have a a greater core resilient and I can really rely on these skills when everything else is gone. And I mean, that's something that that's something that you really want. We don't want to lose that because there's always going to be times in whatever field where, yeah, there's nothing left to give and you just, and you, you just have to keep going, keep going to uphold that duty. And then we came to a, a meaty part of the interview. So Tyson feels really strongly about the conservation of the wrestling culture. And you spoke with him quite a lot about that history and that lineage where the industry is now and where it was and maybe where he would like to see it go to. So he spoke a lot about this old recipe. And as I mentioned earlier, the entertainment form that stemmed from the carnival days. And he is holding to those roots and he really believes if we want wrestling to continue, if we want wrestling to be as great as it can be, those roots are what we should adhere to. Yeah, and he's really talking about plugging into that lineage or like kind of surrendering to the lineage. I doubt he would use those words, but just the idea that, you know, the wrestling world is bigger than you and it can provide a rich set of experiences for an audience. But if you do things the way they were done, it is also sustainable. And I think this is an important part of this lineage piece, the reason that there's this kind of closed body of knowledge, this closed set of moves is that, you know, this was a career for many people and you could be a wrestler for a couple of decades and you could be out on the road, whether as part of the carnival or as part of another show, four, five, six, seven nights a week. And you needed to be able to perform these moves without getting injured and without hurting the other person. And if you're able to do that, then you could make a really good career out of this. But you only get to do that if you uphold the lineage. And that is to say, you know, continue to be safe, continue to show respect and continue to do things the way that they are done, because the way they have been done in the past 
past was a very sustainable way of doing things. And this kind of leads into what Tyson was alluding at as kind of the current problem in wrestling is kind of this the easy route or the destruction of the secure tradition. And this kind of goes in two ways. So if we think of like wrestling as a craft, well, there's some people who are just bypassing kind of the rigor of the craft. And as Tyson mentioned, you know, people dressing up as dinosaurs and something like that because they're trying to get attention. And as we alluded to earlier, you know, a successful wrestling show is when you capture the attention of people and make them feel something like live theater. Now, some people are just kind of taking the easy route and going for kind of the cheat thing of just getting any reaction. So I'm going to dress up as a dinosaur, pop out of an egg, whatever. Hey, that got a reaction. Now, the other side is that a lot of people are actually taking the craft and the, you know, this kind of core set of moves that have been used, and they're actually pushing it almost too far the other way, which is they're becoming too real or too aggressive or too acrobatic. And they're also getting reactions, but they're taking away from that sustainability because the moves are much higher risk, a lot higher opportunity for something to go wrong, a lot higher of an opportunity for someone to get injured. So I think Tyson really is presenting kind of this wise conservative voice here to say like, hey, we don't want to cheapen the business by going down the let's dress up and just do anything to get a reaction because over time, there's going to be a lot of diminishing returns on that. And also let's not go too far down this way of making every move an over-the-top acrobatic thing that no longer could be believed to be a real fight because that also is going to wear people down over time and it takes away this built-up tradition that has been there. There is this certain sense of reality they're trying to protect. His example is Hulk Hogan, who he was on the line of that believability. He would, you know, he would get his his power from his Hulkamania, from the kids in the audience and the cheering crowd, and he would build himself up. And it was was right on the line. It was like, it was almost magical, but it it also was this guy is being inspired by us to fight harder and i think that's what, what tyson was saying like there's we're playing with this idea of fantasy but that's part of our lineage and if we break that instead of just bending it the audience will walk away because like you say a law of diminishing returns on the other side he was saying if we just go because it's easier and we lose those skill levels they're also walking away so there's two potential dangers so let's not be too silly with our blurring the line between fantasy and reality let's keep skill levels high and then as you said you know if he says i gotta hit a thousand times harder i've got to really make this look real and be real and your body's not going to sustain that for very long so how do we sustain longevity in this industry now how does this apply to our schools well we are building on that on those core skills that keep us learning and keep us in this lineage and tradition and if we throw in too much novelty or if we throw in work that is too hard and not sustainable maybe we will lose that core of what made us great of having these really strong sets of skills knowledge that that allow us to move on into being a great citizen into being a, a reliable worker into being a more developed human let's not throw that away in the interest of novelty and easy route yeah and one more just comment from the rest side of that like i think an important idea tyson's bringing up 
with either of these extremes of the sort of too novel or too hard hitting stuff is that not only have you ruined it for yourself long term, but you're also ruining it for everybody else and for the next handful of years that you are diminishing the overall idea or of of what wrestling is for the audience that is out there. And there's a Jim Cornette quote. I know I won't have this exact, but he said, you know, 30 years ago, we didn't hit each other and people thought it was real. And nowadays we're actually hitting each other and people don't think it's real. So he says, like, you know, what has gone on in, in the kind of culture of wrestling entertainment that like guys are now actually having to hit each other really hard and do this strong style and actually getting injured for real. But people are like, yeah, but I know it, you know, I know it's fake. I know it's not, I know it's not real stuff. So, so this gets into this idea of course correction. And in Tyson's idea, in order to kind of like maintain and sustain this lineage, there's this idea of restoration. So let's restore what has worked in the past. Let's take a little bit of that culture back as he was alluding to with his new students. And, you know, let's bring back some of this lineage. Let's go back to these kind of cores of let's bend reality, but let's not break reality. And that, you know, he wants his students to kind of almost take on like some moral responsibility of how things should be. And of course, as Tyson alluded to, he said, you know, society is always changing. So you're always having to change the psychology of what you do as a wrestler to be able to, you know, impact a crowd. But there are just certain proven old school techniques that, you know, we can bring back, maybe revivify, and, you know, we can put some kind of modern glitz and a little bit of glamour, but stay true to what that lineage of wrestling is, of, of how you get a reaction from a crowd in a sustainable, proven way. And I, I imagine in the wrestling world, this is a, a, is a contentious issue because in 2020, the internet does exist. And so how the circuit would have existed 40, 50 years ago, somebody would have put cameras in those rings at some point and tried to do what Vince McMahon and those other promoters did during the 80s. And was it inevitable? I don't know. I don't, I've never so little about the wrestling industry, but that would be the questions I would begin to ask. And I think what Tyson's saying, and like you said, he's acknowledging that, that you've got to change, you've got to adapt, but let's not lose. And I think that's the same message that we're trying to say on this podcast is there's something really important in that traditional security-based mindset that saw education flourishing for however many years it was in place, you know, 50, 100 years, longer. And I guess the belief from the security mindset is in schools that someone like a progressive school, maybe an inquiry school such as I teach, are breaking that kind of model, that link between the teacher and student, that link between those traditional basic skills and you're putting more emphasis on the doing, maybe taking the easy way around those skills. Again, it's certainly a contentious issue, but it's one that we want to think about. It's like, where is that? How do we integrate those babies those things that we want to keep from this traditional security-minded paradigm, this traditional way of being, but make sure they are fit for the context of the 21st century. And that is the key question. That is the question that we're trying to hit on this in this um, podcast. And Tyson's facing it in the wrestling world, we're seeing it in the education world. There are opportunities out there to hit harder. There are opportunities to try new techniques, and there's something in all of them. What are the babies in these new techniques? What are the what are the positives in the newer styles or the ways things are presented? And what are the positives and babies in that traditional traditional mindset? And how can we blend and integrate them to best suit the needs of, in Tyson's case, his audience and his wrestlers? And in our case, our students, our parents and community as a whole, our society as a whole. Good summary there, Brennan. 
Any final thoughts before we wrap up? I guess my wrap up is just, it was a pleasure to get to talk to Tyson again. He was someone that I enjoyed spending time with and being able to kind of talk about the behind the scenes stuff, you know, 10 10 or so years ago. I think just my last thought, you know, we made this point already in this, but I think one of the biggest gifts from the security traditional minded school is this idea of master and apprentice. And I would say moving forward in our schools in 2020 and beyond, maybe it's not the teacher's job necessarily to be the master and the student be the apprentice. But I think that model of master apprentice is something that could benefit occupational preparation, the cultivation of citizenship and one's own self-development by finding opportunities for the school to connect students with a master to be able to go into depth in a discipline and into some kind of lineage. And also, as we alluded to here in this episode, to also provide students, older students, students who've acquired skills, to be able to give back as part of the lineage for them to also fulfill that role or that duty as the master and to share their body of knowledge with the apprentices below them. So I think for me, that's kind of the biggest takeaway from this episode. We've hit on a lot of details, but I think if there's one thing I was to extract from this, it's the fact that maybe we have devalued that master and apprentice model in schools in our modern day context. And that's something we could bring back and revivify. Yeah, and I just want to say a big thanks to Tyson for talking to us. He was really honest and open and gave us a a really great insight into how this security mindset or traditional school has a place in has a place in 2020. So many thanks, Tyson. I really enjoyed listening to the interview, and um, maybe we'll maybe myself and Rob will be over in your gym training one one day. It's my hope. My fear is I just I think you'd have to get to such a level of physical ability just to be able to do his first lesson without that just being the end of your career. Oh yeah, I don't think that forward roll pre-assessment he did would go well for me but uh, i'm sure the uh, the listeners would like to hear in our 100th episode a wrestling match between you and i so we'll we'll start training now good idea i'm getting tyson as my trainer oh i'm in trouble all right um thanks for the thanks for the chat rob and uh thank you Brad. i'll meet you back here in two weeks for more of the same sounds like a plan yeah hoopla if you've enjoyed this episode please feel free to share it with someone you know or even just talk about it. And online, basically nowadays, Twitter is about the best place to follow us. We post some content there and share news stories from the world of education that we think are relevant to what we are talking about. From Brendan and myself, thank you very much for listening. Attention is a, is a very valuable resource these days, and we appreciate having some of your attention on what we are speaking about. Bye! Bye!